guys, this is Jill and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Kings podcast. Today I'm joined by one of my favorite guests, Will Zimmerly, Will Z Stats, as you know him. You can find him on Twitter as well as uh, Breaking Down Stats with D'Lo and Casey on 1320. We're going to start off uh, by talking about Keegan breaking his uh, the rookie three-point record. And I know you were able to pull some uh, really cool stats from where he's shooting, who he's getting the ball from, things like that. So for anyone that missed that stat, I wanted you to be able to break it down because it's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks, Jill. I appreciate that. It was really fun to put together, um, trying my hand at the graphic game a little bit more and um, delving into that. But yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, it really just dives into how good Keegan's been from three really everywhere in every instance on the court. So looking at like his threes by location in the left corner, he's shot 44.4% from the right corner. He's at 39.7% and above the break, he's at 39.6. So it's really the whole graphic just shows how no matter where he's shooting from, who he's getting the ball from, kind of the whole flow of the offense, he's around that 39 to 42% range, which is just so phenomenal to be that consistent across so many different variables. Yeah. And it's once in case for the, anyone that doesn't mm-hmm. know, how many, how many total attempts did he have um in the entirety to break it? Do you know? Yeah, 462. Okay, so, so think about those on. numbers as you're talking, and that's with over 400 shots. Okay. Yeah. It's not a small sample size. Like it's he's a legitimate three point threat. Um, and the when you look at just the number of one eighty eight, like, yes, that's the rookie record. When you put it in perspective of the percentage, though, it really just shows how amazing of a season he's had. I don't have the number right in front of me, but it took Donovan Mitchell so much longer to get to his one eighty seven. Um and I want to say it was that, like it, somewhere between 50 and 80 more attempts. Yeah, it um, was not even a little bit more than that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, 80, <laughs> 90, 88, quick math, I think. Um, it's just so impressive what Keegan's done. And he still has so much more room to grow as well. Okay. And then there was also, I felt bad for TD on this one, but you had, <laughs> uh, you had some percentages on um, what he shoots on handoffs based off of who he's getting the ball from. And so I thought that was a really cool breakdown because it also went to show everyone, you know, always talks about Domas and, you know, how much he gets from him. But I also thought mm-hmm. it was a good highlighter on how much he's getting from other players as well. Yeah. And we see it a lot where, Maybe players have certain teammates they like to get the ball from. Um, I think we see that with teams that are like Chris Paul led or Trey Young. Like all the players are getting passes from this one person. But for Keegan, Sabonis, I don't think it's a surprise. Sabonis is leading the way. Uh, 65 of Keegan's 188 threes have come from Sabonis passes. I don't think that's a big surprise. But once you get past that, 
It's really spread out. He's got 40 makes from Fox, 20 from Herder, 15 from Barnes, 15 from Mitchell, 13 from Monk, and then a myriad of a few others as well. And yes, poor Terrence Davis. He's only one of eight on those shots for 12.5%. That's the only little glaring percentage on the whole like the graphic. That I felt so down. bad for him. <laughs> it's like, he's like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I'll just, I'll, I'll look at it as he, he is ended up passing the ball when he was going through maybe his little tiny slumps that we've seen. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll just yeah, go, with let's that. go with that. Um, but I thought that that high that did such a good job of highlighting what you mentioned too on there kind of being a one main distributor on other teams, mm-hmm. but just how well this team moves the ball around, you know, again, it's the number one offense in the league, you know, mm-hmm. and historically they've been doing um, so much, but even in, in the videos we've seen of, um, you know, King's Film Room and all those guys posting and how many actions they have off of of different DHOs and different. I mean, it's it's wild and it gets everybody involved like that. And mm-hmm. um, it just makes it so enjoyable to watch. You know, everyone's it touching it and it's moving and guys are putting guys in good positions. Um, and I think it also shows like um unselfishness right that mm-hmm. that that many people are, are getting involved and i'm sure if you if we were to look at herders it's, it would probably be the same thing i know i'm sure a lot of them are so bonus but um a lot of the the corner shots he gets and things like that um i would imagine that it would be pretty spread around um yeah. as well and i just want to pull up i'm just curious uh pull up what Herder's been doing for passes um, really quick. So his, he's at, yeah, 88 from Sabonis. It's so similar. It's 88 from Sabonis and 40 from Fox, which is like the exact same as Keegan. Pretty dang close. Uh, That's wild. And then same thing, 17 from Davion, 14 from Keegan, 12 from Barnes. Um, So it's almost the exact same breakdown. (laughs) Okay, that's cool. sneaky. When Davion gets going with his passing, it's such an underrated part of his game, I feel like. And exactly like you were saying, where there's so many facets to the Kings offense that we don't talk about and don't maybe realize right away. That's so integral to their variety of ways to score, ways to pass, ways to get everyone involved. It's just so impressive. I know we've been critical of of Davion, um, you know, at times, but... I also feel like I always have to try and, you know, remind myself that we're 70 something games in with these guys Mm -hmm. and this system and all that. And to me, I think you've seen like an upward trajectory of him and how he's played this season. Like to me right now, he's playing his best basketball and that's exactly Mm -hmm. when we would want to see it. And so I feel like he is getting a little bit more comfortable um, in the system and trust on like what he can do and what others think he can do. And maybe it helped him getting a couple of those extra games with Fox out and being able to to do different things. Um, but I do know it's I'm sure it's hard for him, you know, playing with Monk where Monk handles the ball mm-hmm. so much. Um, but I also think part of Brown's rotations like that when, you know, when he puts Davion in with the starters after that six minute mark does help him um, kind of start getting into flows and he's able to. Um, to handle the ball a little bit more. But um, I'll say it's been nice to see him on that upward trajectory, at least in my opinion, um, 
as as we you know got to the end of the season and his defense is still there i mean what oh, he did last gosh. game in portland <laughs> he was so... like taking candy from yeah. kids it was just like give me that <laughs> just his it's so fun to watch and like defensive highlights need to become more of a thing. Uh, I feel like everyone loves the offensive highlights and the dunks, but Davion, I you could like find something every game where he just does something incredible on the defensive side. And we've seen clips come out of him guarding every single player on a possession where he'll just switch over screens or just steal the ball from someone. But it's, I love that Mike Brown has mostly the rotation set. Um, we're still trying to figure out, it seems like that backup center position, but it feels like other than that, he has the timing and this is perfect for leading into playoffs with the timing of substitutions. Everyone knows their role. Um, again, that center spot, a little bit of caveat, but that's really nitpicking. I think when it comes down to how the team is playing as a whole, but it just shows how they've grown and are becoming a well-oiled machine at really the perfect time of the year. Yeah. And you mentioned the the backup center spot. And I mean, I could be totally way off base with this because obviously we're not really getting much info. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, it almost feels like, because I know Brown has talked about quite a bit on knowing that the playoffs are coming up and still like that. Remember that I'm still testing things. I'm still trying to put guys in situations that, that they might see like where he was talking about, he wants to, he was playing Keegan, right? People wondered, why am I putting Keegan on guys like Booker and things like that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, cause I want him to keep growing. Like I, mm-hmm. and there might be a, a situation where I need him to guard him, you know, in a playoff or next year or whatever. Um, and so again, I could be off base, but I almost feel like, with seeing Holmes and Len right now, it's getting maybe some cobwebs off in case there ends up happening to be a matchup where those guys have to be thrown in. And because you have the freedom right now to kind of mess with that the last, you know, six to eight games that we've been seeing it, um, why not throw them in there a little bit? And because you know, Metu kind of already has that chemistry with some of those guys. Mm-hmm. And he's had situations in the year already where he didn't play for 10 games and then he was back in um, that. This could be a situation of let's just get these guys some minutes and some confidence. And if there comes a situation where I need to throw them out there, there's that trust again between players, coaching staff, um, and and Len and Holmes and whoever is coming in. Um, but again, I get, you know, time will tell uh, on what we're going to see. But yeah. kudos to Len. I thought last game um, he looked much better. And I know, mm-hmm. again, it was against, you know, Portland's bench and then their bench. But um, he came in and did exactly what you would want to see from yeah. um, the kind of player that Len is. So, yeah. And you saw how happy they were for each other. And like Metu oh, was the first so one much. off the bench the whole time. And he was the first one giving a hug after he got the defensive player of the game. Like, and to mm-hmm. me, that just shows what Brown is building that like you're not seeing Metu complain or be down. Like he's genuinely happy for the rest of his guys. And, and like we said, we don't know, but I'm sure he has shared with them. You know, Brown has said he's very open and honest. 
they know what the situation is, regardless if we don't know. And they seem perfectly fine with it. It gives us a talking point. But um, at least from what we're seeing, there doesn't seem to be any kind of issues internally on, you know, whatever's going on. Yeah, which is just so impressive that these everyone in the NBA is so competitive and I'm sure they want to play like that's their they want to play in basketball games and to be able to set that aside and put the team first and just do whatever it takes to win. And that goes along with the players that are playing too, where we're not seeing players worry about their individual stats. Like maybe we were in years before no one's trying to hit contract benchmarks or anything along those lines where they just want to win and they're maybe sacrificing some of those individual numbers to be able to get to that point. And it's working. Yep. Totally agreed. Um, and then we'll see what happens tonight. Matu very well could be in there tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially based on what Portland's throwing oh, out yeah. there tonight. It's even less. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing t- was today on, you know, Twitter, when you open it up, there's always some, you know, random blue check mark person, you know, saying something about, you know, the Kings and everyone's getting their, you know, their takes in or their shots. And even though mm-hmm. they really don't need to, I feel like half the time they're doing it for content because they know that we'll respond that it's yeah. just like, okay, let's get some traction going. But again, some random was talking about um, the Kings being a cakewalk in the playoffs and uh, because of their defense. Um, and I thought you had some really fun uh, comeback stats that Thanks. that are not just fun but relevant to what we're what um is coming up so if you want to kind of share that yeah and um the comment the original tweet was about how the kings have the fifth worst defense and it's like we know we are aware um and it's just such an easy stat to point out and it seems like a lazy stat to point out that you can even take it half a step further and just look at the net rating and the answers right there where the Kings, and this is part of what I tweeted. If you look at just the West uh, Western conference teams, the Kings have the third best net rating, which is the difference between offensive and defensive rating. So really the one that matters because it's where you see the differential, the Kings are third in the West at plus 2.9. And what that shows is that their offense is so good that they can be not as good on defense, and that's okay. It's still a winning formula. And then along the same lines, the other part of the tweet was that the Kings have a 42-11 and 11 record, which is a 792 winning percentage when they score at least 114 points. That's 114 points isn't even that much. They average one, I forget the number, what it is now, uh, but like 120 a game. So. To have that high of a winning percentage at that low of a number, it just shows how dynamic the Kings offense is and how it's really okay that their defense isn't a average defense in the league. Yeah, and I'll even add on to that to where um, we know it's, and it's, I will say mostly, it's the first half that the Kings Mm -hmm. usually struggle. But one thing we love about Brown and these players is usually in the second half when they come out, they've made adjustments. They, as Brown says, they turn the Jets on. So I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll put this out there. So the Kings rank 16th in second half defensive rating. So second half of games, 
They're they're the average that we want them to be. They're number one in offense in the Mm -hmm. second half of games. And their net rating is a positive 5.4. The next one, it's it's, uh, the number two um, is the Celtics. And then the 76ers and then the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Clippers and the Bucks and the Nets. So again, like they're doing what we would want them to do, but we like everyone just talks, you know, the, the game as a whole and not, you know, it's when you look at the first half numbers, completely different, but the second half, when they come and they come to close it and, um, on Brown, when he was just on that podcast with, um, Stein and Haynes, he mentioned how when teams would come here and play the Kings in previous years, it was like, okay, you hang around, you hang around. And then they would go in the huddle and be like, okay, it's time to turn it on. Like, let's finish this thing. And I feel like you're seeing that from him with this group Mm -hmm. when it comes to the second half. Like, okay, we we saw what we saw in the first half. Let's come out here. Let's let's finish this. And then in the, the fourth quarter, they're 10, 11, 12. They're right there. So again, like we're just seeing it when it really matters. Yes, we would like a full game of it. But when push comes to shove, I think we're trending in the right direction that even last year we weren't seeing like you could break down by halves. We weren't getting this kind of improvement. And so this is something that has improved as the year has gone along. So, you know, for what it's worth, um, to anybody when it comes to the second half of a game the kings again lead in net rating they're they're doing exactly what we would want them to do for a full game so yeah and i mean there's been so many years where the kings have just gotten destroyed in the third quarter i remember last that year was our it was usual. Just <laughs> such a hot topic yeah and looking at the last four games the last four third quarters, so a full 48 minutes of basketball. So it's a very easy numbers reference. They've won the third quarters 140 to 90. And it's just, yes, one of those was against the Blazers, but the other three were the Timberwolves, the Jazz, who I think are still better than people give them credit for. Teams that still have Suns. something to play for, right? That are mm-hmm. throwing their guys out there and they have something to play for. Yeah. And they're, it, what, it's what makes Mike Brown and the adjustments at the playoffs with playing the same team multiple games in a row so exhilarating because he's shown that, yes, he'll make those third quarter adjustments or, yes, he'll make game to game adjustments. They've done so well in the little two game mini series this year where it seems like everything that he's done has built the 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 culture. I mean, really, to say it is a winning culture that just builds on itself as the year goes on. Yep. And then is there anything for upcoming for the game tonight? Are there any stats that you were able to pull, um, you know, as hard as it might've been just because it's completely different Mm -hmm. um, blazer roster and whether it be what you want to see from the Kings or, you know, what to expect from the blazers. um, Take it away. Yeah. So for that, I mean, the Blazers, I think we all know that they are not really trying to win, but they still there's still NBA players. They can come out and score and win. Everyone's playing for their next contracts and kind of NBA lives in that situation. And you see that come out and 
we again the thunder the hornets have done a very good job of kind of being some beating some good teams down the road but for the blazers looking at last game and what kind of stood out i thought that the kings kind of let them get going especially inside a little bit too much um in the first half they were 10 of 12 at the restricted area which is just again the easiest shots the layups the dunks but in the second half they completely shut the blazers down in the paint so in the second half the blazers only had 10 points in the paint and it was on six of 18 shooting which is 33 percent that's just a phenomenal defensive number and one that I'll be kind of looking at for the Kings to really ratchet up that interior defense right away because I don't think the Blazers have the shooting and the skill at all to really hang with the Kings from an outside shooting perspective but if they score 70 points in the paint maybe that's enough to get them uh, closer if the Kings have an off shooting night. So to me, it's all about managing, managing that interior defense against the kind of inexperienced Blazers team. We always call these kind of drain games, trap games, you know, and uh, every mm-hmm. team has that same kind of mentality because I mean, too, when you normally teams are, you know, you have a, a coach that scouts, you know, the next team, what's coming, you have video to watch them on. Um, And when you're playing guys like this who are playing for contracts, right? Like they're playing to be on a roster next year, essentially to be on the Blazers or somebody else. um, You just never know what you're going to get either. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those guys aren't going to come in laying down. So um, come in. We want to see come in, take care of business early, hopefully. So Mm -hmm. you can get uh, those guys rest again like they did um, after last game. I think that'll um, that'll help. But. I appreciate you being able to find uh, what you could. And the other thing I wanted to ask was, did you happen to hear any of Mike Brown's uh, interview on the um, Mark Stein, Chris Haynes podcast from yesterday? I haven't heard it yet. I saw it come across, but just haven't had some time to get to it quite yet. Um, Is this with the video with him kind of showing the players and, and having it on his phone um, and that yes. interview. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I haven't. So, I need to get to it. Have okay. you listened to I, it? I definitely recommend it. I listened mm-hmm. to it before we came on here because I want to be able to to pull some um, our end of podcast like talking points essentially. Mm-hmm. But um, I will recommend to you to listen to it and I'll recommend from everybody at home to listen to it. But we got a lot of kind of things that we've heard before. But to me, like the things we've heard before, it's like, oh, he's done this for culture or he had guys sign a contract or, you know, it was about trust and leadership. But I felt like he gave a little bit more of the details that we hadn't necessarily maybe heard before. And so I just kind of want to do like a little overview of the two things that mm-hmm. stood out to me the most was he mentioned his three step approach to the culture when he came in and got the job. And so, um, he first talked about talked about the three parts of it, but then he gave uh, Stein kind of made a joke after he gave the three pieces and said, well, you know, your confidence in implementing these three things couldn't have been that high coming in. So I'm going to read Brown's response to that first and then go back to the three. So Stein kind of laughed and said that your confidence right again couldn't have been that that big coming in. And I thought Brown gave a really good good answer. He said because of the situation he was coming in, 
he felt like he could make more of a presence than here than he could anywhere else because they were looking for direction. They were looking for that stuff compared to, um, and then he said like Luke Laux helped him with every interview that he's done. He said he knows, uh, Mike knows a little bit about technology and things like that, but Luke's younger. And so, you know, he took some of his direction, but bounced a lot of things off with him. Oh, I thought, and he said that they, the two of them together when looking at the pieces of the Kings felt like it could be a sleeping giant. He said they had Fox and Sabonis. They have Barnes who they love, who has that championship experience. Um, There was Davion. They had a top four pick coming in and he's mentioned a couple other little pieces, but like he felt like they had, there was a legit starting point that they could really work with. And he said, so when, you know, he's coming from winning situations or when he's got a coaching job before, like the Lakers going into a winning situation already. He said he was often met with like with Kobe would tell him, oh, well, hey, coach, but, you know, I know you're saying this way, but Phil Jackson said this way, you know, or we did it like this. And he said, and him being so young, he would then start second guessing himself like, well, Mm. Phil's really good. Like, should I go away from what I'm trying to do and go back to that? And coming into a situation like this, he didn't feel like any of that would be, you know, there would be no one necessarily second guessing him about, hey, well, Luke Walton did it like this. You know, he didn't say that, but <laughs> I'm using those terms based on that of, you know, that that just wasn't the case coming in here, that it was a clean slate for him to come in and implement, you know, these three kind of things. And so I thought that was that was a really great answer and something I wouldn't have necessarily thought of like, but I get it that, um, you know, that people talk about his time with the Lakers and how it didn't work and things like that. But you don't ever hear those kind of discussions. Well, it's like, well, the players weren't listening to me because they were listening to Phil Jackson before me. And so they just decided they didn't want to do it this way. Like it was never those kinds of, um, you know, discussions when you talk about that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So I thought that was an interesting perspective from, you know, from him giving that um and that those were kind of the the convos that were going on at the time. So the three steps that he mentioned specifically in his approach to changing the culture was one trust, two leadership, and three, it was like a combined role to responsibilities in that contract. So things right again that we've heard from him before. But when one when it came to trust, he talked about how Um, he wanted all aspects of the organization to share his like in the trust in the vision of what they were trying to do. And so he said that they kind of have, you know, you hear about those retreats and things like that, but that they invited the front office and they invited Matina and John Reinhardt and to come in and um, have everybody kind of be under the same umbrella of like, this is what we're doing. This is what I'm expecting and trusting in you guys trust in me. And so, um, and then he mentioned how, you know, how they had all those practices before training camp. And we were always saying it was so cool to see everybody here, you know, a month, a month and a half before, unless they were playing in Europe for, for the tournament, but those guys were in the gym all the time and we saw them with the new coaches. And so he said that during those, um, workouts that they had before training camp, he didn't coach it at all. He sat on the sideline and let his assistants coach. And he said he felt like that um, would give the players 
trust in the assistant coaches and showing that Brown trusted those assistant coaches with working with those guys and that he kind of wanted to get a bird's eye view of some of the personalities, how interactions are going, um, but have more personal conversations about family and other things about, you know, like that. And then when training camp comes, I'll get in and and, um, I'll start going, you know, into things like that. And so uh, he mentioned like you're learning things like that from pop and Kerr and things like that of trying to get that personal aspect first and then getting into the basketball, but trying to build that trust foundation. Then he brought up leadership, you know, and how he established that leadership council and that he knew once he got the top to buy in, the rest would follow. Right. Like we've heard those stories that he's talked about with um, being under pop and having, you know, Duncan and guys like that buy in and then everybody else would follow. So he mentioned, you know, that kind of thing. And then the third came the roles, responsibilities and the contract. So he says he met with every player individually together and they together defined what they viewed their role responsibility would be for the team. Once that was done, they sat the whole team down and one by one went and said, HB, these are the roles and responsibilities and what we agreed upon um, when we talked. Do you agree? Yes. Some come sign the contract. Fox, these are the roles and responsibilities that we talked about that we agreed upon. Do you agree? They had to say yes. Come sign the contract. And they said they did that one by one, put everyone's roles up there. You know, so that everybody was clear so that if anyone's, you know, stepping outside of it, you know, that that they could have that conversation of they bring it with them when they travel. They have it with them in the locker room and they have the contract showing um, in the training facility and like the training room. So, again, like it's it's there. Everybody understands they hold each other accountable. This is what we agreed upon. And then I it wasn't mentioned here, but I know it was mentioned. I think it was um, Mark Spears mentioned it um, about how even Vivek signed the contract, like everyone signed, you know, their part of this is this is what we want from you. This is what we're expecting. Um, and And he said that everybody has signed it. Everybody is held to, you know has been doing what they have said and that it's been um, a huge, you know, step in their culture, culture growth. So I thought that was cool hearing like just the, we've heard the overview of that kind of stuff, but hearing him really like break down the exactly what he did for each piece was, was really cool. So again, like that was maybe a five to 10 minute portion of the whole thing. So um, I recommend going and listening to it. Like you mentioned, he has the bulletin board material. He has a video on his phone of um, mm-hmm. Wendy talking about how all these other teams, you know, want to face the Kings. And he just says that if they do what they believe they can do, they're not worried about it. Like they're not worried about it. So um, just keep doing what, what they've been doing all year and what the expectations they've set for each other. and. um they're they're not worried about it it's just such a beautiful leadership everything about what you said is just you can put it in pretty much any job ever and let it be basketball finance whatever it may be like it's such a fantastic leadership style and just breaking it down to the individual level and including everyone it makes everyone feel like part of the team and 
to know how much care he put in planning and wanting to really build up the king's organization as a whole. And then to see a payoff must just feel so good for them and the team. And it just, it's so beautiful to see and be a little bit of a part of. And it's just been such a dream season. It's looking back on where it started and thinking how he had to do all that and really break it down. It's just amazing how far they've come in such a short amount of time. It it really is. It's one of those, all the pieces, you know, kind of have have aligned and and then you think about that it's only been 70 you know plus games and Mm -hmm. that just what can they keep doing as they keep growing together and adding you know more pieces of whatever puzzle that you know they view this as because I mean we always talk about you know the steps and steps that I mean this could be your step one right now going Mm -hmm. that you have this and and what's coming next but it's just it was really cool to to hear and like and like stein even said like i was one of those guys that you know was always making fun of you know what was going on and Mm -hmm. that um he didn't believe that the halliburton trade you know would work out that the sabonis halliburton trade would work out and how much that they've proved everybody wrong in that sense and and what they're doing so again it was it was really good um really respectful from from everybody and it was really cool to hear brown's insights leading um into what he's building and and everything going forward so love yeah. it yeah i have to go check that out that'll probably be between now and the game at some point i'll listen to that <laughs> yeah. one for sure so thank you will for joining me again as always um if you want to go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you i think most know now but if they don't um where can they find you and see you now yeah thanks joe um find me on twitter um will underscore zimmerly or search will z stats um i'd also do writing for dlo and kc on espn 1320.com and i'm trying to um do instagram as well it's so much harder than twitter for me but i'm trying um so find me on instagram as well and i'll pop some graphics and some stats over there also i appreciate you again as always joe for having me on it's a pleasure as always you're welcome. And then you can also find, I believe it's on D'Lo and Casey's website. There's now Will Z merchandise. There is. is. If you want a Will okay. Z stats shirt or sweatshirt, um, it's out there at D'LoandKC.com um, to support with the shirt or sweatshirt. All right. Awesome. Um, so we will end this now here. And as always, go Kings. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done.